Hello and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hannah. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. So our first episode, yeah, our first episode accordingly is about Showboat from 1927. Music by Jerome Kern and book and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II. Um, and this is a show that many musical theater historians consider to be the first modern musical, so to speak, and we'll get into exactly what that means. Uh, but first, how are you today, Hannah? Oh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, just watched Showboat, so very fresh on the mind. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I watched it uh, two days ago, but I took ample, ample notes. Ample notes. No, so. I didn't go with that approach. I just watched it, so it's all right there. It's going to come very quick. I have a lot of thoughts brewing. Let's get to That's it. That's good. That's good. Okay, so first I'm just going to do a quick explanation of how this podcast works. So we are going are. to each, of course, each episode is going to be about a different musical. We'll go from 1927 to today. Maybe we'll cover all the ones that won Tonys or something. Maybe we won't. We'll figure Maybe that out won't. as we go. We probably won't. There's a few that I've never heard of before, Tony Best Musical winners, so we should not not do those. Um... But yeah, and we're going to grade every single musical with three scores. Each of us is going to give it each musical score from one to ten on three categories. First, was it important? Did this musical change like this musical theater scene in some way? What was its impact? And then we're going to give it a score about, was it good? At the time this musical came out, ignoring what's come out since then, was it a good show relative to its day? And then we're going to give it a score on... Is it good? Do we like it? How much do we like this right now mm-hmm. compared to other musicals? All right, so that's what's going to go down. Great. All right. That was me interjecting. Good, good. Um, Great. Hannah has, Hannah has instructions to interject as much as possible. I think it's going um, well for me so far. Yeah, so far it's going pretty well. Um, so today... Moments. I would say so. It's, it's going to get meaningful. So we're, we might run a little longer than usual today because we're going to cover... Everything in American musical theater history before Showboat, and we're gonna try to do this in like five to ten minutes. So Jeremy is gonna do it in five to ten minutes, and I will interject as the spirit moves me. That's exactly what's about to happen. All right, backgroundy stuff. Here we go. Okay, warning: if you're an opera historian in the audience right now, I'm gonna get a lot of things wrong. So Woo-hoo. just bear with me. Um, you should be the one doing this podcast, probably, but it is Hannah and I, so you're just gonna have to do. And yet here we are. Here we are. Uh, so America, it starts. It's the 1700s. There might have been some stuff dun, before dun, then. Dun. But before the 1700s, they were in like log cabins. There was no organized theatrical tradition. Um, so <laughs> there, there used to be opera. Opera was a thing in Europe, and it was very dramatic. When you think of opera today, that was sort of around then. You know, like big people sing dramatic songs. But a lot of countries started to have, you know, light comic opera. Um, you had your French opera comique. You had your German and Austrian zingspiels. I think that's how you pronounce it. What's a zingspiel? It's like it's, I think it means like a sing play. I think it's like a. Sorry, I can't let that pass by. No, yeah, I think a it's sing a little play. Okay, great. A sing play, like Mozart's Magic sing Flute. Play. We're talking sing like spiel. A, yeah, singspiel. I think they say zing. I don't okay. know. I don't speak German. So we're talking like Mozart <laughs> Magic Flute, if you know that one. Um, and then all of a sudden, one. you get English light opera. Uh, 1728, there was John Gay's The Beggar's Opera. People still do that sometimes. And then you have your Gilbert and Sullivan in the late 1800s. And they were a big hit in America as well as in London. Um, 
And in America, we had our own light opera tradition. We had Victor Herbert, who wrote Babes in Toyland from 1903. Have you ever seen that movie, by the way? I haven't. It makes me think of that, like, what's that Christmas, isn't that a Christmas story? Babes, is that something else in Toyland? No, I think you're, I think what, I think that's right. I think Babes in Toyland is a Christmas story. I think it's a Christmas story. If not... It Whenever I hear like about that, I, I think of the well uh, I think of the Island of Misfit Toys from Rudolph. Right, that maybe. might be what I'm doing. I might be conflating the two. Yeah. Well, in any uh, case, yeah. So that was going down, but the main thing <laughs> that was going down in America is there were a lot of reviews or reviews. Do you know how it's pronounced? Like R E V U E? Is it review oh, or is it review? Review. I think you just say it with an attitude, with an eyebrow raised. Yeah. Review. Let's just. Yeah. Perfect. So it's a review, they can not hear with that, an right? I W, they can hear but the eyebrow. yeah. Great. I could hear your eyebrow raise. Um, That's all that I care about. So, you know, no overarching plot, just a series of songs Mm. and dances. Vaudeville is a type of that. You know, like Mm. Gypsy was about vaudeville. George M. Cohan did vaudeville. But unfortunately, these types of entertainment were accompanied by another type of show called The Minstrel Show or Minstrelsy. And this was a lot of white actors putting on blackface and doing horrible racist caricatures of black people for laughing white audiences and um this is a really grim and racist part of american cultural history that went on for a very long time from the 1800s all the way into the mid 20th century um as things went on you started to get you know a little bit less offensive reviews like you had your um florence ziegfeld would do a show called the ziegfeld follies and these were these super you know high class shows Times Square, like 1910s and 20s, there were gorgeous women dancing in elaborate costumes. Uh, singers, comedians, Funny Girl was about, if you ever watch Funny Girl, that's about the Ziegfeld Follies. So now we get to the turn of the century, 1900, and there's a little thing called dun, musical dun, dun, dun. comedy. And it's basically, you know, you have a loose, a loose structure of a play, like a kind of a story going on, but mostly just a bunch of random songs that weren't even written for the show that just sort of got thrown in the middle, and they didn't really contribute to the show in any way. Sort um, of like a variety show, really essentially, yeah? Yeah, like a variety show with mm-hmm. like more of a plot that sort of goes the whole time, but the mm-hmm. plot wasn't that important. It was all, it was all very light, very frivolous. Um, and that's the, situa- that's the situation we were in in the 1920s. So now Great. we're going to get into Showboat itself. Great. So along comes Edna Ferber. She was a novelist, and she... So she wrote a play, and that play was in tryouts in 1924. And the story goes that a bunch of bats were hidden in the rafters <laughs> of the theater, and they swooped down and scared the audience away. And the producer of the show... Yeah, I guess that just was a, uh, you know... Um, a hazard normal, performing theater. Normal event. early 1900s events. Yeah, just casual. Potential fright by bats. Casual right. bats in a theater. I love yeah, that. that was normal. Um, so Great. the producer of the show, you know, just said, ha, next time we won't even do trouts. We'll just charter a showboat and perform on the rivers. And Edna Ferber said, what's a showboat? I've never heard of this. And it turns out that showboats in the 1800s were this thing where you'd take mm-hmm. a boat and you would put a mm-hmm. show on it. That boat- is truly not surprising. Yeah, it's exactly what you would expect, and it would just go right. down the river in the south, because like in all these random little towns in the south, they wouldn't, they couldn't go to Times Square. They didn't have theater, so right. the boat, the boat would come by your town. You'd go see a show on the boat, and it would keep moving. So uh, Edna Ferber spent a few days on the boat, fell in love, and decided to write a novel about Showboat. And oh, less course. than a year later, this was such a hit. The novel was on top mm-hmm. of the charts for weeks. 
So Jerome Kern, who was, you know, a big music writer at the time, asked her if he could make it a musical. She was skeptical because of how frivolous all the other shows were at the time, and he said, no, this is going to be different. This is going to be a new kind of show. This could be a new thing. Yes, and it we're was. We're going to get real on the showboat. They did. They got very real. We're going to talk about the real issues. <laughs> I know. that Before then, it was like, oh, haha, like love triangles, uh, misunderstandings, mm-hmm. and now this is about, you know, like racial politics and stuff um so yeah. oscar hammerstein the second sure. comes on um mm-hmm. you've heard of oscar hammerstein the second from i Rogers have i didn't even know he wrote the music for showboat which i feel embarrassed about maybe cut this fact out i just watched the whole musical and had no idea it was hammerstein yeah so Kern wrote the music that makes sense hammerstein. now so hammerstein wrote the book and the lyrics um and for those who don't know the book is just basically the script so he writes he wrote all the dialogue he wrote all the lyrics um, and the two of these teamed up with Ziegfeld from the Ziegfeld Follies, which was, the, you know, that big review where all the, the gorgeous ladies in their fancy costumes are dancing around. Because mm-hmm. um, this guy had the money, this guy had the influence, and he was able to put up a giant show where they actually put a full-size showboat on the stage. I mean, it wasn't like on water, but it was just, you know, sitting there on the stage. Great. Um, so it was a theater inside a theater. How meta. I know. It was... Uh, it was very novel for the time. And I, I know. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested. Okay. So now we've made it. Showboat premieres. We've made it. It's a Here massive hit. Everyone loves it. It ran for 572 performances, which was a year and a half, which was, you know, gangbusters. Probably unheard of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was the most complete integration of book and score any musical had ever seen. Dramatic themes told through the music, dialogue, setting, and movement. And a historian writes, his name is Lubbock. Or Lubbock. 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 And this... And this guy, according to Wikipedia, says, Here we come to a completely new genre, the musical play as distinguished from musical comedy. Mm. Now everything else was subservient to that play. Now came complete integration of song, humor, and production numbers into a single and inextricable artistic entity. So that's why Showboat is important. It was the first show that, like, the sort of way we think of a musical today, where the right. songs are actually, like, related Advancing to what's going plot. down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was this. This was that. It was never before. See, I'm fascinated by this because watching Showboat, I was struck by how often, like, we paused for a song about our feelings, where we didn't learn anything new about our feelings, we just sort of lived in our feelings lyrically. Um, So, I would gather then that even that level of pausing to sing about your feelings was somehow revolutionary. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it's might be less about the feelings and more about that the songs mm. were actually written for this show. Right, I see. Like, so they weren't before, just randomized. It was just, yeah, it was a bunch of Tin Pan Alley guys, and they would just take a bunch of songs they'd already written and then, like, construct a mediocre um, story okay, okay. to showcase uh-huh. their songs. And now all of a sudden it's like, this we're going to write. And, two and, working hand in hand, right. And, I mean, we, we didn't, like, come all the way in one day. It wasn't until Oklahoma, which was, like, the real show that... Where the songs actually coming were. soon on uh, Broadway, Broadway Beat. Binge. Yeah, Broadway Binge. Oh wait, Broadway Binge. binge. Crap. Yeah, coming soon. Broadway Beat. Cool. Broadway Binge. Basically the same. Anyway. Basically the same. Um, as you were saying. But you know, some of the shows here were like actually about what was going on. Like, um, right. You, you can't just take Old Man River and put it in another musical. Right. It has the context for sure. Also, I would argue the best song in the show, Old Man River. Agreed. I think the producers knew it. They come back to it at the end. Have they earned that? I don't know. But nevertheless, Paul Robeson singing Old Man River, the best moment in the show. Agreed, 100%. I guess, oh yeah, so let's dive in. We both watched the 1936 Great. black and white movie, Great. which yes. um, 
Critics complained that it was slavishly faithful to the Broadway show, which is perfect for our purposes. Perfect for our also, you know, baby poor choice of um, of adverb, but um, leave it to critics. Yeah, critics. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I loved this movie. What did you think? Well, I don't know. Um, I came into it super cold on purpose. Um, I loved that. Well, so something I was talking to Jeremy about that I loved about this musical is every singer sounded to me like Jim Deere from Lady and the Tramp. So like that old Hollywood sort of crooning um, hit me, you know, right in my memory bank, even though I really truly wasn't alive then. Um, So I enjoyed that aspect of it, Um, you know, as a uh, modern feminist trying every day to be more and more woke maker of theater. Like it's certainly troubling but that also gets into our discussion of you know the period out of which this show came and so like what is it saying about racial politics in the time it was made versus it's truly appalling to someone in making theater in the year 2017 you know yeah i mean i guess we should probably just dive right into the sort of the racial issues of the show because i mean if yeah this show, great yeah if this show came out today like if someone just wrote this we'd never heard of show before and they're like look at my new musical what do you think i would say this is terrible. Like, how could you do this? I would this say is nothing. The most I mean, racist it would be thing ever. For Hitler, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. I mean, there's a literal, there's a literal there's, blackface routine. Right. There's literally that's show. like somebody's character trait, right? So the main, the main character, Magnolia, her singing act, she sings what she refers to in the musical as Negro songs, and she works on the ship where there's several people of color who are the servants, and there's it's unclear if it's like a slavery relationship or just a sort of a hired help situation it sl- slavery slavery was abolished it was the 1880s right yeah well i mean i'm sure it was abolished but yeah the I relationship mean, see, it of seems course, a bit hairy yeah, yeah right yeah um mm-hmm. of course um so the thing is so, t- the, so that is that is true like there are things in this that are right. terribly offensive however for 1927 right. this must have been right. the most progressive piece of art that had like ever been put before a mass audience before Right. I mean, we still talk about Paul Robeson in this show because his role was so revolutionary. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was sort of one of the first, uh, you know, male people of color having um, sort of this huge ballad that drives the action of the entire show. So like a lot of it did rest on these characters who were people of color. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd heard Old Man River before, but... Same, actually. That's the only song I'd heard. So everyone always plays. Um, well, so first of all, let's uh, let's take a second here and mm-hmm. play Old Man River for the oh, audience. Great. Okay, right. so I, I'd, I'd heard the first, like, the, the main chorus before, but then there's that whole part where he's sort of talking about, you know, how black people back then had to work really hard, and they get a little drunk, and they end in jail, is one line from right. the song. Which, yes. you know, that's, that's almost a modern 2017 take, you know, like, the black right. people just, like, 
they they take like a little bit of drugs and they get sent to prison, whereas you know white people can do it and it's not a big deal. That's like a modern tech. Right. Yeah, sure. I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. That's sort of like a contemporary angle to look at it. I mean, I don't know. I'm struck by that song and like you have this long montage uh, of essentially images of like slavery, right? Like it's all these images of him yeah. carrying things up the hill. Um, and so that makes me wonder about just the living conditions, like in the place that that character was singing from. I don't know. We're also two white people trying to We are two white people. The <laughs> racist imagery of showboat. So here yeah. we are off to a thrilling start. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but you know, like... Hammerstein and Kern, they were they were really trying. Like I don't know. They were oh no no no. I I I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, Shakespeare wasn't sexist when he was writing either, so there you have it. (laughs) Yeah. Um and 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 just I mean the context, like for the people who watch the time, like today, um you and I and like many people in the audience, like you know, lots of people have, you know, your racist grandpa. And today your racist grandpa, you know, he watches Fox News and you know, he grumbles to himself about, you know, like the immigrants or whatever. Mm. Um, as he sits alone in his like assisted living center. Right. Oh, Back man. then, oh, when this when this movie came out, your racist grandpa literally used to own people. Right. Like. And now. And, and now is sitting. People are singing songs in a musical. Yeah. So I mean, like it was, the, the, it was such a different time, and. Right. Also, well, this is, here's this what I'm going to compare it to. Yeah. This is so inappropriate. I recognize this is totally inappropriate. But I saw Wonder Woman last night. And I spent, like, the whole show being, like, the whole movie, rather, being, like, this is so amazing, there's a female superhero, but most of the plot is driven by a man, essentially. Like, mo- have you seen Wonder Woman? Yeah, yet? I have. It was Great. It was I love this. Yeah. I love this discussion for us. Yeah. So, but most of the plot is essentially revealed through her relationship to a man. And I was like, oh, man, this is so great. What progress we've made. There's literally a female superhero kicking ass. And yet, here we are. It has all these things wrong with it. And I was like, oh, man, how do I assess this film where it's a huge leap forward, but also I'm disappointed. Um, And, you know, truly not to equate the issues that are in Wonder Woman with the issues in Showboat, but um, just sort of to equate, I don't know, the uh, analogy of how we, we think about it. I think there's a, a comparison to be made there, you know? Yeah, they're both, I mean, they're both huge leaps, which... Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can't sort of let the problem slide, but at the same time, we can right. give them credit for what they did. Right. Um, right. We should probably talk about the rest of the show, too. Probably should talk um, about the rest of the show, too. I mean, I have lots of thoughts. I have some questions. Yes. Um, so, so for those who haven't seen Showboat, I guess brief plot summary. They're on a showboat. Mm-hmm. Um, the main girl, Magnolia, her parents run the showboat. Um, she's never been allowed to act before. And there's a man and a woman who are married to each other, and they are the main actors on the showboat. Their names are Steve and Julie, and they're at the center of a really big scene in showboat, which is known as the miscegenation scene. Um, if you've never heard the phrase miscegenation before, that's good. It's uh, an old concept of uh, black and white people mixing their blood is what it meant. It's what we would think of as interracial marriage, but a very sort of racist, anti-interracial marriage idea that miscegenation was bad, and a lot of uh, former Confederate states had anti-miscegenation laws on the books. Uh, The last one was the Supreme Court didn't overturn them all until 1960 in the case Loving v. Virginia. Uh, But in this show, Julie is half black, and a scorned guy who wanted to get with her uh, but she spurned him because she's in love with her husband, Steve. 
Um, so he brings the police. The policeman says there's an interracial marriage on this boat. They have to go to prison. Um, and right before the cop shows up, Steve uh, cuts Julie's arm open a little bit, sucks the blood out. Um, and then he says to the policeman when the police officer comes, this is not miscegenation because I, quote, have Negro blood in me right now. And everyone else on the boat can attest to that. And they do attest to it, and they don't get sent to prison, but even uh, even so, they get kicked off the boat because I guess black people weren't allowed to be on a showboat with white people at the time. So at the time, the scene was celebrated for being extremely progressive, uh, which, you know, it was pro-interracial marriage. Uh, but looking back on it now, it's a very difficult scene to watch, um, very problematic. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I think you said it all. And I think that's, you know, sort of central to talking about showboat, right? Is, I mean, at the time, yeah, super progressive. Um, You know, Shakespeare was also progressive when he was writing. And we look back now and we're like, holy hell, that's just so messed up. So, you know, I think you said it all. I think uh, it's a really messed up scene. It's unfortunate that that, uh, you know, was going down the way it was at the time. I also hear what you're saying. I recognize... uh, that, you know, its inclusion uh, allowed us to have conversations about it, you know, that we weren't having before. So, you know, it's tricky. It's certainly tricky. Yeah, and I don't want people to come away from this thinking I'm some kind of showboat apologist. No, 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 yeah, for sure. Like, I'm trying to put this in its historical context, but at the same time, I think you could take away that Hannah and I both think this is an extremely problematic show with a ton of racism. And yeah, absolutely. if it was put up today, it would be completely unacceptable without massive changes. Word. Uh, it, it turns out this is actually the first musical in American history where, uh, or at least in Broadway history, where black and white actors were on stage singing together. That had never happened Interesting. before. Interesting. Um, What's the name so. of the sort of the lead, um, what the hell is her name? The lead sort of servant character who's married to um, uh, Paul Rosen's character. Queenie. Truly remarkable. Really yes. an amazing performance. Is this, now, is this film all the original cast, same to the stage version? Um, mostly, but not entirely. Um, mm. the, the, main, the, the young woman, Magnolia, who then becomes an old woman over the course of the show, she is not mm-hmm. the original, but um, the woman who played um, Julie. Julie was the original. Julie Both the, the original? The parents, okay. the parents were the original. Paul Robeson was not the original. The part was written for him, but he couldn't... He couldn't take it on Broadway for some reason, but he did play it on London before the movie. Right. And it, it was written yeah. for him. Yeah, well, can we talk about what's the significance of his character? Because in some ways he sort of feels like the timekeeper for the whole movie. You know, we don't really return to him at the end, but we, rep- we reprise his song, right? Yeah, so, go ahead. What, what do you, so, what, so what do you think of his purpose? Well, I don't know. I think it's interesting because, you know, sort of the big moment, I feel like sort of in the first third of the show, once it kind of finds its pace, is when he sings the Old Man River song about... Uh, how time keeps moving along, right? And it sort of brings mm-hmm. everyone together. Um, and that's, you know, to me kind of grounds the message of sort of the first bit of the show. And then at the end of the show, uh, fast forward in time, uh, plot spoilers, Magnolia's husband sort of leaves her because he runs out of money and they get reunited at the end at the debut of their daughter in this big show who she's carrying on sort of the torch of show business. And they loop Old Man River at the end as it sort of fades back out to the river in the boat. And I just think it's very interesting uh, because we don't ever return to the Old Man River character. We just use his song at the end to sort of say, ah, the circle of life is complete, to reference another musical. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I guess because so the idea is Old Man River, he don't say nothing or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. But must know something. Uh, he just keeps right. So basically, the, the, river, the Mississippi does not care about any of these people's right. problems. It's indifferent. Right. Um, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, the, the blood, the lifeblood of the, the community, mm-hmm. and it just keeps doing its own thing. Um, so I, I kind of like that. This is, this, you know, this big three-generation epic. You see the parents. You right. see Magnolia. It is very three-generational. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so just for whoever's just listening to this podcast who is not interested in watching the movie and has never seen it before. So the main couple on the showboat, Julie and Steve, I think, they leave the showboat. Right. Um, so then Magnolia steps up. She takes the lead. Some random pretty man was just walking down the street one day and they fall in love on first sight so he joins the showboat right. um they fall in love they get married they have a daughter they leave the showboat kim. to go to chicago kim uh-huh. um uh-huh. and the show claims that they invented the name kim and it stands for kentucky illinois and mississippi missouri or something but i don't believe that i think it's yeah short i just for truly Kimberly. do not buy that but it's yeah. fine kim's cute it's fine. fun little child kim's actress cute. weird child actress did did you get the impression <laughs> that like she was being was dubbed a voiceover? by an adult woman. Yes. yes, I did too. In the, I was like, why does this small child have the voice of like an adult Shirley Temple? It was so bizarre. I, I looked it up even. I was like, was this dubbed? And nothing right. on the internet indicates it was dubbed. Well, I imagine it's all dubbed, right? Like that's the way they recorded sound back was then. That, like, so I every, imagine everything a lot was, of it is dubbed. So a lot of it is dubbed, but I think all the singers, which I think all the singers dubbed themselves. Which, mm-hmm. once we get to, like, the 1950s, that's not normal anymore. You start hiring right. new people to dub. But in this, the singers all right. performed themselves because they were all Broadway singers from the original cast. But I think that little girl was dubbed by, like, an adult woman because that I sounded really that, weird. I agree. Okay, well, the big okay. mystery of this episode is uh, was uh, young Kim at the convent school when visited by father? Is yes. she a voice by an old woman or just oddly prescient child? Who can say? Time will tell. So basically, so so the guy she marries, they go to Chicago. It turns out he's a degenerate right. gambler, loses all of his money, right. leaves them. She goes, and Magnolia then goes and just auditions for the show, which it turns out Julie has the role in, but Julie sees that right. Magnolia is auditioning, and she knows that Magnolia leaves it. So Julie uh, selflessly quits her job and probably goes off to right. die as an alcoholic. Essentially, and, right? We never get, we never know what happens to Julie after that. Yeah, she I mean, she, she's an alcoholic. It's a she, selfless moment. She probably goes and dies. Yeah. Um, and then... Well, yeah, so yeah. why can't she say hi to her? Sorry, I'm interrupting, but I, I took issue with that moment. She was like, she can't know that I'm the singer here. I'm going to go off on a bender, essentially, and she'll get my job because she needs this gig. And I'm like, you could have said hi on the way out, you know, but she doesn't. What's that because about, you know? I think she's worried that if she did that, Magnolia would be like, well, I can't take this role. This is your role. Mm, and if you don't okay, have it, you're going to die. So just a really ultimate sacrifice here. Ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. Because all they is... can do is perform, Jeremy. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. I mean, basically, they, they've done nothing but be on a boat. and Right. And, and like in, in this in this place in time, she's probably like I don't know forty something now. Like what else? Right. A single forty something year old woman who only knows how to sing, and is right. an alcoholic. Well, I have like, questions about do? that, but you sh- you should finish your recap before I interrupt again. Yeah. So Magnolia takes the gig, and she becomes a famous Broadway singer, and then her daughter becomes a famous Broadway singer, and at the end, uh, the degenerate gambling husband um, who has reformed his ways comes back. Has he reformed his ways? We don't see any. We, we actually we actually that. don't know. It's suggested. And it, and he's but at he's least softened a bit. Yeah, and he at least like he doesn't have the audacity to like try to get back into their lives. He's sort of like watching them from the stage door, and then Magnolia spots him, and she's like, "Oh, let's reconcile." And he's like, 
no, I don't deserve that. I'm going to sneak off. And she's like, no, let's reconcile. And then, like, it's happening. Right. They're joined by the union of their song at the end of the show. So, so the music is what brings them back together, I suppose. Right? Yeah. So that's the the plot isn't anything to write home about. It's it's really more. Well, essentially, it's an epic, right? I mean, structurally, it really yeah, is it's an epic. epic. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of, like, little asides. Like, for me, some of the most exciting moments in the show were when we paused to, like, spend time with Queenie in the kitchen or to, I don't know, um, when the when the dad, so the uh, Magnolia's father, what's the name of that character again? The captain, uh, essentially, of the Captain ship. Andy, Captain Andy. Right. He was maybe my, one of my favorite characters in the film in the show um and he does an entire lotsy essentially during midway through a performance on the boat where uh one of the characters sort of has an altercation has to run off stage and so they're at mid-show and he basically gets on stage and saves the day by sort of theatrically replaying for the audience all the things that were gonna happen so he does this like extended physical comedy routine about like i'm this character and i'm this character and i've been shot and da 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 and um kind of remarkable gymnastics for an old guy who looks to be yeah, pushing incredible. 60 yeah, it was, really it was unbelievable. Um, yeah, you know, so that Hannah, was fun. If, if there's any, if there's anything I could be in my whole right. life, I would want to be a 1930s through 1950s character actor. A 1930s through 1950s character actor. Um, like, I think like, you what, like one of those absurd. World. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that would be good for you. Yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> I I would love to do that. Just be one of those like crazy. Because now when you're a character actor, you have to at least like be a little bit realistic. But back then, right. like it was just unbelievably broad the comedy. Right. Well, even just the way they spoke back then was different. I was struck by that in the in the film. Like literally, the, the type of talking that they do yeah. is very different. Like they their mouths have evolved differently. We yeah. should say who we would want to play in the musical. I think. Oh, that's true. Okay. That should be would, something we do every time. I agree. Yes. Um. So I would want to be Captain Andy without a question. Without. I think I'd also want to be Captain Andy. <laughs> or wouldn't. or Kim at the convent with the adult voice. With the adult voice. I mean, oh, no, it's a true, uh, true toss up. <laughs> you texted me before we were recording. You said that you loved her mother, Captain Andy's wife. Oh no, you're right. Oh, damn. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the mother. Just this sort of perpetually sour mom. Who, like, at no point do we see a reason why she should be so angry at the world, but she is. Um, there's sort of some evidence, you know, maybe her husband, the captain, is sort of, uh, he's sort of annoying, he's very, um, you know, very excitable and always very red-faced and running about and not really doing what she wants, but she's truly a perpetually dour, um, and, you know, really like that, sort of that angry old lady trope, I think, that we see in, like, a lot of early plays from the 1900s. Um, yeah. Sort of, it reminded me of... It reminded me of Rory Pelsu, actually, in, like, our take on Children's Hour. Sort of, like, all the, like, fainting upon the credenza. <laughs> Fill in our viewers. Yeah, 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 yeah I, 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 no, I told <laughs> Hannah and I were in a show together. Hannah and I knew each other from college, and we were in, uh... <laughs> yeah, we did a lot of theater together. We, yeah. had, we had a director who was particularly fond of people fainting on furniture, and it's sort of a style I don't really understand. But I wish I'd watched Showboat when we were doing the show. Yeah, I mean, because um, that was the thing. Like, a lot of dramatic fainting. Melodrama. Uh, and that's probably, what she, that's probably what she grew up doing. Um, right. Um, let's see. My, I'd say my favorite song. I mean, Old Man River is the best song in the show. That's not best even, song in the show. It's not a question. But my other favorite is not, I not still suits. Me. I still suits me, which was the the duet between Joe and Queenie. Yeah, correct. Well, just dramatically, one of the most satisfying moments in the show. You know, it, it it has nothing to do with anything. Nothing else to do with the plot. The show. No. But it's it's the most engaging, and it's it's so right. it's uh Hattie McDaniel and Paul Robeson, and they are, um. Basically just singing about the relationship, and she's saying, like, why am I still mm-hmm. with you? You're the worst. 
and he's just saying like, <laughs> oh, you know, you love me. But there's a lot of wit in there. There's like, um, yeah. there's there's this one line. Of each other, right? There's one line. I had to replay it so I could write it down. And Paul Robeson says, "I may be lifeless, but with one wifeless, my would my life would be strifeless." I was like, Oof. that's. I was like, that's some Sondheimian stuff. Like, that's, that's some pretty good. That's some yeah. pretty good stuff right there. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. Hammerstein really, uh, really playing, doing some some good wordplay there of the sort uh-huh. we'll see later on in his career. Yeah, I enjoyed that song tremendously. Yeah. Um, I liked, what's the song? It's the one that she sings at her audition, that Magnolia sings at her audition. They make her do it faster. Oh, um... um Fish gotta swim, birds gotta climb. I gotta love that Fly, man till I die. Can't help loving a uh, man of mine. And it's it's they sing it. Man in of the, mine, yeah. They sing it in the first act. Another one of the best uh, numbers in the show. Julia right. singing it. I mean, and, right? And you know, descri- self-described by and, Magnolia as stolen from black culture. So she's essentially her take on yeah. um, singing songs written by black people. So and, you and know, not yeah. not the best for us. But um, that being said, the song's really good. Yeah, and, and the way we first hear about it is that Julie's singing it to her, um, right. and then uh, Queenie walks up and is like, how do you know that song? That, that song is for, right. uh, like, white people don't know that song, and that's the first hint. Right, and then it pans out, and all the black people in the village are singing and dancing to that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And then, and then the, the second time we have it, when Magnolia auditions with it, we get that sort of fun moment where, like, suddenly time has passed, and now we're in 1910, and so the right. guys, you gotta rag it, you gotta, like, you know, you gotta make it mm-hmm. rag time. Um, oh, um... Great special appearance by the pianist um, in that audition. Yes, um, a true, a true uh, standout performance. This guy, he sort of looks like like drunk Mickey Rooney a little bit. I don't know. That was the vibe I had. He has this bowler hat on, kind of a gap tooth. He's playing the piano real quick. It's unbelievable. And, um, he has all these little bits, you know. Yeah, very vaudeville. New York accent. I, I actually wrote in my notes. Piano guy is a classic. And in that song, and then there's also a classic. Then there's Frank, who was a dancer on the show, but now he lives in Chicago, right. too. Oh, such a good little bit, right? And he's, he's, wearing, he a plaid, he's wearing a plaid mm-hmm. suit, and it's the most mm-hmm. magnificent suit I've ever seen in my life. And he's just doing the best tamp dancing I've ever seen while she right. rags the song. And it was... Uh, yeah, there's this bit. It's sort of the... I don't know. What's like a contemporary musical that does that? We're like, oh, things are working out. We're all learning the song. It's going well. Every, everybody's breathing the same air. I don't know. Is there yeah, it was, like that it was great. or something? Um, yeah. You gotta watch but it. It's, it's, true. it's a classic moment. I mean, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you still haven't seen Showboat lately, just just go on Google and type in Watch just Showboat. Watch that part. Just type in Watch Showboat 1936. You'll you'll find something. It's um right. It's mm-hmm. it's it's worth it. It's two hours, and it's two hours long. And you can do stuff in the background while you watch. Like you don't need to be paying rapt right. attention. You so don't need to watch useful. the whole thing. Put it on while you're cooking. I don't know. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's fun. Um, yeah. yeah, the style is fine. It's super facial too, right? Like a lot of it, I was curious about, I don't know, we watched the film, right? We didn't see the show. Mm-hmm. But I was curious about the style of like, it's a lot of sort of like long zooming shots on into the eyes. A lot of like tears falling when the family gets reconciled. A lot of, every time you see Queenie, she's like, um, you know, throwing throwing shade, essentially. Yes. Um, would be the term I would use now in the year 2017. Um but yeah, a lot of like facial shots, a lot of sort of big shots of the parade and the river. Like the whole place starts with spectacle. Yeah. The the opening credits are actually amazing because they're on kind a sort of, of carousel. It's on a carousel and there's like placards. Each title's on a placard right. spinning around right. in a carousel. Um, I mean, this movie must have been the most expensive movie that had ever been shot. I mean, it was... Truly. It was amazing. Uh, the giant showboat thing. Oh, something else I thought of too. Like, I was surprised by how 
um, scantily clad some of the women were. Like, there's all these shots of the women sort of dancing in in the show business scenes, mm-hmm. um, where, like, they're wearing these short, short, short little leotards and tights. And um, I was like, oh, if that was shared today, that would get a, a PG-13 at least rating. And I was surprised. Well, I guess because those scenes took place in the 20s. Um, right. And so, so, so I guess it was sort of a different style of, like... Like, fla- like flappers and stuff, yeah. Yeah, there was, like, some just some sort of sexy dancer flapper... Um, images that I was like, oh, I mm-hmm. forgot that we showed that on TV back then, you know. Um, another good line that I liked in the movie, um, Captain Andy comes to Chicago and he's hanging out uh, with some other, like, you know, like middle-aged oh, women, yep. mm-hmm. um, and one of them says, who's that you're talking to? And he says, oh, that's Gardenia, my wife. And the woman says, oh, my mistake. And he says, no, mine. Oh, right. Yeah. And then he hangs out with these women. Okay. That's what I want to talk about a little bit. I feel like a lot of the plot of the play, right. It's like based on these old, um, I don't know, these old, old conceptions of how relationships work. So like, we're supposed to be fine with that. Right. He's clearly running around with his wife and it's fun and cute. We watch him kissing these other women. Um, we have Julie whose husband leaves her sort of when we pick up her story later in the show and we, after we've left her for a while, you know, she's just a sad drunk now yeah. because her, and, her, and she sings her lover a song, left her. She sings a song, Bill, which is like a classic famous song about how she's right. going to love him even though he's he's got nothing to recommend him, her ex-husband. Right. He's, done, he's done nothing good ever in his life, and he left her, but she still loves him anyway. And it's sort of implied that's why she's an alcoholic is because he left her, but right. she still loves him anyway. Right. Well, they say that afterwards. There's like, oh, you see a woman fall to pieces like that. There's some, some, some dialogue sort of leading us to believe that you know her whole life fell apart when this man left her. Uh, meanwhile, we have Magnolia, who sort of, she's a survivor, her her husband leaves her, and she sort of pulls herself up by the bootstraps and has this successful career, mm-hmm. but I feel that we're, we're meant to want them to get back together at the end, you know? Um, and yeah, I and, and I didn't want them to. Different time. Did, yeah, I didn't right. want them to get back together. I mean, I did want them to. You know, he had such a Gene Wilder quality about him, that actor playing Gaylord, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Gaylord Ravenel. Gaylord Ravenel, of yeah. course. Yeah, didn't he have that like sort of that like soft that softness to him? Yeah, they actually gave him soft focus sometimes on his zooms. I'm I'm used to only yeah. women getting soft focus in old mm-hmm. Hollywood, so that was like a nice little thing. All right. Yeah. yeah. You know, put that in the in the, uh, the positives in the piggy bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should probably rate this this musical. Yeah, we should. Uh, right before we do that, I just discussion. want to point out there is a 1951 mm. MGM version of this, like Golden Age Hollywood uh, Technicolor musical. I actually have watched that before. I did not like it. It changes a lot of stuff around. Um, hmm. It puts it puts Old Man River like at the Act One closer. It didn't feel right. Um, no, they, it wants to be early. Yeah, it, ha- it has a happy ending where they get back together on the showboat. It doesn't end in Chicago. Um, so if you want to be a completionist, you can go ahead and watch that too, but I don't, I don't think it was that great. And it was very, not, not it was recommended. very different. Yeah, not recommended. Great. Um, let's, let's rate this thing. Yeah, let's rate this thing. Okay. All right, take us through it. Okay, category one. We are each going to give mm-hmm. a score one to ten on how important this was for the development of mm. musical theater, of the form. Um, okay, so what Nine. we're going to do is, so <laughs> nine, okay. I was gonna I say. I give it a nine. Okay, I give it a ten. Um, Great. Just because, I mean, it's fair. You know, I'm trying to give us room here. We're early here with our podcast. Yeah, I understand. And the thing is, we're allowed to give. We're, your... allowed, we're allowed to give more than one ten. I mean, the fact that there's a reason. Right. There's a reason we chose this to be our very first one, and that's because. Right. Because it's that high, but yeah. nine nine is valid. We're probably gonna give a couple, 
nines and tens, and I think this is definitely right. one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in fairness, it's probably deserving of a ten. I'm pl- probably withholding. I probably won't give anything much higher than a nine, though, unless we feel that there's something that's altered the genre more than this, because you made that point earlier, that this really set the stage. It really uh, changed the form, you know, changed yeah. the form. Like, everything we think of today when we think of a musical, like, is, right. is post this. Um, th- right. It just was a different... Uh, situation. Although it actually, the two. it changed the two. I, so I, I see. Although I can understand a nine actually because you know all, everything I read is like this is the first time the songs ever you know the songs the dance all served the plot. Right. And I guess that's true relative to what had come before. But you think back to Gilbert and Sullivan; those songs are actually right. about the characters, like mod- right. modern I mean, major general. You know, I think but... like think of modern major general. They were actually talking about the character right. to an extent that no one in this show talks about the characters in the songs. So it's not like no one had ever done this before. Right. It was just in this form. It was sort of yeah, a new way. It, it was new for All like right. Times Times Square twentieth century. So it, it deserves mm-hmm. credit for that because it led to what we have today. But it's not like this was it's not like these were the first people who'd ever come up with the idea to t- to do a play with songs that mm-hmm. tell the story. So yeah, okay, so you I gave us a, Okay, so good. 19, so that's a 19 for... A 19. A 19. Okay, now let's True. do... All right, I like that. I was, love that. So, okay, now, was it good for its time? Right. Okay. Uh, all right, well, you know, I'm not trying to co-sign on clearly the issues this musical represents, but was it good at its time? Okay, what's, you, all right, you, I'm ready. you go first. What was your score? I'm going to give it another nine. You know, I'm going to give it another nine. Huge innovation in the genre. Um, you know, crazy production values. Um, you know, I'd say a ten for me would be like, uh, oh, what's the movie they make where the guy falls, a, uh, dies in the horse chase? Um, I have no idea what you're talking out. about. We'll look up what it is and you'll come back and be like... No, I'm, I'm not editing this out. This is going to say... Um, <laughs> well, so nobody died filming it. You know, it wasn't... It, it could have been crazy. Oh, Ben Hur. Nine. I mean, I think you Ben Ben-Hur, thank you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So it wasn't like Ben-Hur level shot, but, um, you know, huge innovation in the genre. Um, you know, the reason, the things we outlined and the ways it was progressive in its time. Um, you know, a huge epic um, based on a truly popular novel, famous adaptation. Going to give it a nine. I'm going to give it another ten uh, for, for the same reasons as before. Right. I think you're just a little more <laughs> tight with your, with your scores, which is fine. I am, I am. I'm That's a little fine. tight with my scores. I'm not afraid to admit it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, okay, now this this one, I actually haven't thought about the score. I'm going to give for this next one. So now it's, is it good now? How much do we like it? Just, if Showboat opened down the yeah. street today, if a revival showed up on Times Square today, how good would I mean, it be compared to other shows? Jeremy, all right. No, be well, be, I know be honest, be honest. Um, you go first. I'm going to give it a two because it That's has blackface same. in it. That's the same score I was going to give it, a two. What? Yeah. There it is. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two. Um, I mean, you know, it's not complete trash, um, but it's, uh, you know, racist as all hell, truly sexist, and, um, you know, again, I'll echo what I said earlier, it's sort of the equivalent of the springtime for Hitler, except I don't think people would find it funny, because yeah. it happened and was real. Um, you know, not to dismiss the grandeur, um, or, you know, some truly beautiful songs. Um, I think if it opened today, it would tank for a good reason. Yeah, I, I'm giving it a two, and those two points are for Old Man River. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep, two yeah. points for Old Man River. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that's four. Well, there so we, we are. Two, two 19s and a four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
how, how do we math? That's 30, what is that, 36? 42. 40, 40. We got 40? 40? It, no. Two twos. 42. We went to Penn, just so people know. We're really good at math. Yeah. <laughs> 18 was 18 is 36. Oh, you're right. It's 40. God damn it. <laughs> it, was, it, was ni- it was 19 plus. Great. Well, 19 plus. Whatever. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm yeah. No, you're right. It was 42. It was 42. I, I blew Wait, it. Wait, it was 42. 18 was 18. 19 was 19 is 30. It was 19 was 19. I blew it. It's, Great. It's 42. Include okay. Include this whole section. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, here we all are. All right. So there we go. That was our first episode. Um, that was our first episode. A couple last minute announcements. Um, you're going to be shocked by this. Um <gasps> Be sure to check out our website at broadwaybinge.podbean.com where you can leave comments on each episode and where we are going to have, you know, pictures of some of these, like pictures of posters if you want to see what these shows look like. Um, and if you leave comments there, we might read them on air in a future episode. Also, check Jeremy. out Jeremy. Also, check out our Facebook this discussion, yeah, okay. our Facebook anyway. discussion group at Broadway Bingers. Broadway Bingers on Facebook. Look it up, join and you and other Broadway Binge fans can talk about the episodes and about anything you want to do with Broadway and musical theater. So, Jeremy, I am undone. All right. Well, I hope you all are lucky enough to podcast with Jeremy at some point because he really has outdone himself once again. Do all the things he said. Yeah, Broadway Bingers is the Facebook group. Broadwaybinge.podbean.com is the website. I honestly don't know how useful the website's going to be. Like it auto- <laughs> when you get when you make a podcast, it sort of automatically comes with the website, no matter which right. service you use. Like I don't really know how useful it'll be. If you go to Broadwaybinge.podbean.com right now and see that there's nothing on it, then like, you know, that, that's just <laughs> that, that just might be what happens. But the the Facebook group we're going right, to try to make into a thing. I, I want to make the fine. Facebook group Great. A thing. Um, yeah, and we're going to come back. We haven't actually spoken about what episode we're going to do next, but I think it's going to be Anything Goes by Cole Porter. Oh, I'm all about that. Stay on brand with the ships, you know? Stay on brand with the casual racism, for sure, you know? Yes. Um, all right, so thank you very much for listening, and, um, we will see you next time on Broadway Binge.